Let's pray. Father God, we ask that in this time together, as we gather around your word, that what we might hear is the good news of Jesus. And may we be inspired to follow. About five years ago, Leicester City Football Club pulled off one of the biggest shocks in the sports history when they won the Premier League. To say that no one saw that coming would be a bit of an understatement. Over the summer, there had been negative reports about player behaviour on a tour to Thailand, leading to three players getting sacked. Then, before a ball had been kicked in the new season, the manager got sacked. As the season began, they were favourites to finish bottom and get relegated. You'd have got odds of 5,000 to 1 on them winning the league. And they appointed a man as manager a guy called Claudio Ranieri, a really likeable guy who had managed lots of big clubs without ever really winning much. But to everyone's surprise, they started really well. And by December, they were top of the league. And people started to ask if they could go all the way and win it. But most people thought, ah, it'll just fizzle out and one of the usual suspects will go on to win. Then after they beat Chelsea, Gary Lineker, probably Leicester's most famous fan, said that if they won the league, he would present the first match of the day of the next season in his underpants. They had a blip over Christmas and dropped a second, but by mid-January they were back top and they just kept going. They didn't have any big names like Chelsea or the two Manchester clubs, but they played for each other and were a real team. And it was one of those circumstances in which the whole really was much greater than the sum of the parts. One by one, the big names fell away and Leicester went on to do what just nine months earlier had seemed impossible. They were champions. If you'd been stood on a hill near the Sea of Galilee nearly 2,000 years ago and saw the gang of disciples whom Jesus called to him, I wonder what odds you'd have got today would be the start of a movement which would still be around in 2,000 years and be spread right round the world. I suspect the odds might have been a lot greater than 5,000 to 1. Yet here we are. We have been very slowly unpacking the story of Jesus as recorded by an early Christian called Mark. Thus far, a couple of Major themes have started to emerge. Crowds are flocking to Jesus, partly because of his teaching, but mainly because of the miracles and healings for which he's becoming famous. At the same time, he's attracting quite a bit of opposition. It's becoming increasingly hostile. And that's a theme that will develop as the story unfolds. Today's passage acts like a kind of bridge between two parts of the story. We've had a long section of healings and early disputes with the religious authorities. And the first bit of our reading brings that section to a close. And there's a strange mix in that opening section. 
It opens with Jesus withdrawing with his disciples. Withdrawing from what is not entirely clear. Is he withdrawing from the synagogue as the space where he will do his teaching? Does he know that there's increasing opposition and there's an awareness that this isn't really the time for that kind of hostility and tackling it head on? So he backs away until he's ready for that. At the same time, though, his influence is expanding. Jesus is drawing people from every region which had a large Jewish settlement. Idumea was formerly called Edom. And together with Tyre and Sidon, these were areas which traditionally had been Israel's enemies. Yet here they are being drawn to Jesus. But it's the other part of the passage I want to focus on this morning. The gang of 12 whom Jesus calls to him and invites him to be the key disciples. Simon, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, who I'm assuming is the same guy as the Levi we met a few weeks ago. Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon the Patriot or Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. Those are the ones to whom Jesus will devote so much energy. He will train them, he will instruct them, he will challenge them, he will rebuke them, he'll encourage them, he'll prepare them for what, to do what he does. They will share with him in what he does. They will continue his work after his death, resurrection and ascension. The first thing I want to draw out of this is that Jesus brings together a community. The first thing that the Bible describes as not good is that it's not good that man should be alone. And that's often used as the basis for marriage. But it needn't be limited to that. We are social beings. We are built for community. Some of us are more social than others. For some of us, the past 10, 12 months has been pretty hellish in terms of not being able to connect with others. Others might not have noticed their life changing that much. I've often joked that as a middle-aged man, social distancing is my default option. But no one is really an island. We are made for community. And faith is meant to be lived out in community. Now we're part of a tradition that places great emphasis on a personal decision to follow Jesus. It's one of the key reasons we baptise believers when they come to faith. And the work I do as a spiritual director is about helping people unpack their personal relationship with Jesus. To consider what God might be saying to them in their life and consider that very important but we shouldn't confuse personal with individual the faith journey is designed to be one we make with others we share with others we work out in a community even Jesus didn't try to do it all by himself Going way back to when we began our time in Mark, we saw the first thing Jesus does after he's baptised and returns from the wilderness is call people to share the journey with him. 
It's one of the things that's made this season so hard for many believers. It's great being able to find different ways of being connected. There have been things which I've considered a real upside in this season. We've been able to connect with people for whom it is difficult for us to be with physically. And all of that may be part of the mix for how we develop things in the future. But nothing really takes the place of being with others. And on those occasions when we have been able to be together, there have been a number of ways it's just kind of felt odd. Some of it is just because it's not what we're used to. But other bits like the keeping distance, not being able to really engage with one another, they just don't come naturally. It's not how we're built. We are made for community. But there are a couple of things I want to reflect on briefly. One is the nature of the community Jesus calls us to. And the other is its purpose. The nature of the community and its purpose. One important thing about this community is, well, it's normality. We've noted this before. They weren't on the whole the best of the best at the top of the class. If I can go back to where I started, they were more 2015-2016 Leicester City than at Chelsea or Manchester United. To the best of our knowledge, none of them were especially wealthy or prestigious, particularly well-educated. And it's not that Jesus didn't associate with such people. Along the way, we encounter a number of people who believed in Jesus who were more affluent. But the overriding impression we get from this group of people is their sheer normality. We're not told of any outstanding personal characteristics that made Jesus think, I've got to have them on my team. And nor is it because he foresees that their performance is going to be stellar. It's not. That list is bookended by Peter, who by the end would deny even knowing Jesus, and Judas Iscariot, who would be the one who would sell him out and betray him. None of them come out of the story smelling of roses. One of the other things we could note is how little we know about so many of them. They are simply names on a page. If this section wasn't recorded, we wouldn't have known they existed. At one level, we might see them as the foundation of the church. But actually, a lot of them play remarkably little notable part in the story. They pretty much give way to people like James, the brother of Jesus, who didn't even believe in Jesus till after the resurrection, and Paul. And yet they still remain the foundation on which Jesus built his church. Which actually I kind of get. Because if you've ever, ever been part of a church, or even any organisation, you will know that there are those who are always up front and we know all about them. People like me, for example. But actually, so often, so much leans on people who don't get the attention, who don't get noticed, but things wouldn't function without them. That's the kind of people Jesus wants to be his disciples. 
and they're all pretty normal and they're all pretty flawed. That's the nature of the community we're called to. We'll get it wrong. We'll let each other down because we're human. But Jesus doesn't give up on us and we shouldn't give up on each other. But it's not just their normality. It's their diversity. Here we have people who would otherwise have not shared very much in common. We read about Matthew or Levi from a few weeks ago who was called when he was at a tax collector booth. And he's part of the same gang as Simon the Patriot or the Zealot. Opposite ends of the political spectrum. That's something about the people Jesus calls you to share community with. You won't always agree with them. Those who know me even a little will know I have my political leanings. You might despair of them. No, never mind. And I would claim those are shaped by my faith. But I've worked with people from right across the political spectrum. I've shared the same projects as them. We've had the same passion for those things, even though we approach them from very different places. And many of them would relate their leanings to their faith. Now, there are ideas which I don't find compatible with following Jesus. If it drives you to hatred or allows you to see anyone else as less than a human being made in the image of God, your politics is a long way from anything to do with Jesus. I suspect Jesus had his work cut out with Simon the Seller, to be honest. But Jesus isn't interested in being co-opted into your faction. Or mine. Jesus ain't playing that game. An increasing part of modern life is the way we're becoming polarised. Right, left, Brexit, remain. It's really easy to live in an echo chamber. Surround yourself with people who agree with you. We live in a world which considers it very easy to see things very much as us and them, good and bad. We demonise the other side. Jesus don't let you have that luxury. He calls you to a community with people you're going to disagree with. And he calls you to love them. One of our biggest witnesses is when we can stand with someone with whom we fundamentally disagree. Because what unites us is far more important. Because Jesus has your first allegiance. So it's a community of the relatively normal, flawed, but diverse people we, we share this journey with. But what is its purpose? Well, again, I want to suggest there are two sides to this. They're called to, to be with Jesus, to be with him, and to share in his work. He has chosen, to be, chosen them to be with them so he can send them out. Different personalities find it easy to fit into one of those categories or the other. I hate to use this distinction, but there are those who can get sucked into the more spiritual side of things. They will live life in an endless round of prayer meetings, Bible studies, services and so on. They, they really love all that stuff. All perfectly good things. And there will be those who are much more activist. You can get them involved in any project or any cause, but it's not always rooted or nurtured in time spent with God. The rock star Bono, the singer with the band U2, once spoke of spending time with Bishop Desmond Tutu. 
Bono's campaign for debt relief, AIDS research, development in Africa, and he would root all of that in his faith in Jesus. He is someone who's an activist. And as I say, he spent some time with Desmond Tutu, and he was amazed at the man's energy. His diary seemed ridiculously full, yet Tutu always devoted huge amounts of time to prayer. Every time they were about to move on somewhere else, Tutu would stop to pray. Bono would ask, how do you find the time to accomplish all that you've done and yet have all that time to pray and meditate? And Tutu said, if we didn't take the time for prayer and meditation, we'd accomplish nothing. At my worst, I veer, I veer towards the activist stance. It takes discipline for me to allow myself the space to be rooted and nourished in what God has for me. It can be very easy for me to fall into that trap of confusing sermon prep with devotional reading, for example. And I can be giving out without fully taking in, and pretty soon I get flat, tired, I prone to burnout, you know, that sort of thing. And equally, there will be those who just absorb more and more. But it never really finds expression in their life. It never really gets to the sending out bit. We're all different and we will find different balances. But find the balance we must. It's, a da it's dangerous to be constantly in the sent out state without ever being with Jesus, being rooted in it. But it's also dangerous to assume that being with Jesus is all there is to discipleship. It's just Jesus and me. It's important to find your place in God's plans. As I talked about with the ducks, it'll be different for, for us all. Because we're all different. For some, it will be closer to the preaching, to directly sharing your faith, helping others in worship. For others, it will be the challenging evil, making this world in one way or another more and more as God intended. But joining Jesus, following him, it involves us finding our place in his community, playing our part. Brothers and sisters, that's the community we are part of. We're called to be drawn into relationship with Jesus. To be with him. To be empowered by him. And then to be sent out. We are called to find our place in that. It's a community of the normal. And diverse. People call together. To be together. To stand together to serve together. And it will at times look more like 2015, 2016 Leicester City rather than Chelsea or Man United. But we are held together by one much greater than Claudio Ranieri. And with him, we are far more than the sum of the parts. And we might feel like way more than a 5,000 to 1 shot. But Jesus has already overcome on our behalf. And he will be with us every step of the way. Grace and peace to you.